Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of one's fears and the summit of one's knowledge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. You just crossed over into the twilight zone. Dude, Jordan Peele heckin' nailed the tone and inflection of that opener. Really captures that Rod Serling vibe. If only smoking was still cool. Howdy folks, and welcome to the Science Factual Zone, where we take a look at the facts behind your favorite science fiction. I'm your host, Reese Hendrick, and for this episode, we take a trip through another dimension. Not only of sight and sound, but of facts as well, about the Twilight Zone. The focus for today's episode will be on the original series, the reboot, as well as some honorable mentions within the Twilight Zone dimensions. So before we get off at this signpost, make sure you don't miss the SPOILER ALERT! SPOILER ALERT! Because we'll be talking about some easter eggs and iconic moments throughout the facts section, not to mention this week's interview with guest comedian Elijah Meng, where we talk about our favorite episodes. Plus, you'll hear from show creator Rod Serling on censorship from an interview back when Kennedy still had the top of his lid and cigarettes didn't kill people. Well, there's no time like the present to jump headfirst into an alternate dimension of awesomeness. Speaking of which, we'll be talking about just what dimensions are for this week's water cooler facts. Dear science, we haven't even gotten into it and I'm already starting to disassociate from the word dimension. Next up, Faxville. Twilight Zone, marketed as Twilight Zone for its final two seasons, is an American science fiction horror anthology television series created and presented by Rod Serling, which ran for five seasons on CBS from October 2nd, 1959 to June 19, 1964. Each episode presents a standalone story in which characters find themselves dealing with often disturbing or unusual events and experience described as entering the Twilight Zone, often with a surprise ending and a moral. Although predominantly science fiction, the show's paranormal and Kafka-esque events lean the show toward fantasy and horror at times. The phrase Twilight Zone, inspired by the series, is used to describe surreal experiences. Serling served as an executive producer and head writer. He wrote or co-wrote 92 of the show's 156 episodes. He was also the show's host and narrator, delivering monologues at the beginning and end of each episode. Serling's opening and closing narrations usually summarize the episode's events, encapsulating how and why the main characters had entered the Twilight Zone. In 1997, the episodes To Serve Man and It's a Good Life were respectfully ranked at 11 and 31 on TV Guide's 100 Greatest Episodes of All Time. Serling himself stated that his favorite episodes of the series were The Invaders and Time Enough at Last. The Twilight Zone is regarded as one of the greatest television series of all time. In 2002, the series was ranked number 26 on TV Guide's 50 Greatest TV Shows of All Time. In 2004, it was ranked number 8 on TV Guide's Top Cult Shows Ever, moving to number 9 three years later. In 2013, the Writers Guild of America ranked it as the third best written television series ever, and TV Guide ranked it as the fourth greatest drama, the second greatest sci-fi show, and the fifth greatest show of all time. And in 2016, the series was ranked number seven on Rolling Stone's list of the 100 greatest shows of all time. By the late 1950s, Rod Serling was a prominent name in American television. His successful television plays included Patterns and Requiem for a Heavyweight, but constant changes in edits made by the networks and sponsors frustrated Serling. In Requiem for a Heavyweight, the line, got a match, had to be struck because the sponsors sold lighters. Other programs had similar striking of words that might remind viewers of the competitors to the sponsor, including one case where the sponsor Ford Motor Company had the Chrysler building removed from a picture in the New York City skyline. According to comments in the 1957 anthology Patterns, Serling had been trying to delve into material more controversial than his works of the early 50s. This led to Noon on Doomsday for the United States Steel Hour in 1956, 
a commentary by Serling on the defensiveness and total lack of repentance he saw in the Mississippi town where the murder of Emmett Till took place. His original script closely paralleled the Till case, then was moved out of the South and the victim changed to a Jewish pawnbroker, and eventually watered down to just a foreigner in an unnamed town. Despite bad reviews, activists sent numerous letters and wires protesting the production. Sterling thought that a science fiction setting with robots, aliens, and other supernatural occurrences would give him more freedom and less interference in expressing controversial ideas than a more realistic setting. The time element was Serling's 1957 pilot pitch for his show, a time travel adventure about a man who travels back to Honolulu in 1941 and unsuccessfully tries to warn everybody about the impending attack on Pearl Harbor. The script, however, was rejected and shelved for a year until Burt Grinnett discovered and produced it as an episode of Desilu Playhouse in 1958. The show was a great success and enabled Serling to finally begin production on his own anthology series, The Twilight Zone. Serling's editorial sense of ironic fate in the writing done for this series was identified as significant to its success by the BFI Film Classics Library, which stated that for Serling, the cruel indifference and implacability of fate and the irony of poetic justice were recurrent themes in his plots. Being an anthology series with no recurring characters, The Twilight Zone features a wide array of guest stars for each episode, some of whom appeared in multiple episodes. Many episodes include early performances from actors who later became famous, such as Theodore Baikel, Bill Bixby, Lloyd Bachner, Morgan Brittany, Charles Bronson, Carol Burnett, Donna Douglas, Robert Duvall, Peter Falk, Constance Ford, Joan Hackett, Dennis Hopper, Ron Howard, Jim Hutton, Jack Klugman, Martin Landau, Cloris Leachman, Barbara Nichols, Leonard Nimoy, Robert Redford, Burt Reynolds, Janice Rule, William Shatner, Dean Stockwell, George Takei, Joyce Von Patton, Jack Warden, Jonathan Winters, James Dewan, and Dick York. Other episodes feature performances by actors later in their careers, such as Dana Andrews, Art Carney, Jack Carson, Gladys Cooper, Buster Keaton, Ida Lupino, Kevin McCarthy, Burgess Meredith, Agnes Moorhead, Alan Napier, Franchot Tonet, Mickey Rooney, and Ed Wynn. Klugman and Meredith are tied for the most starring roles with a record of four episodes, however the actor who appears in the most episodes is Robert McCord. Also, those of you with a keen ear will have heard a number of the cast from Star Trek The Original Series. Alright, let's shift gears a bit into the development of the 2019 reboot series. As in the original series, each episode in this incarnation of The Twilight Zone deals with a different topic, addressing such subjects as supernatural occurrences, racism, social issues, misinformation in the press, alien invasions, and immigration, with an unusual and unexpected twist in each program. Notable episodes include Sanaa Lathan as a woman who discovers that her camcorder can turn back time, Chris O'Dowd as an anthropologist who studied a strange gun, Morena Bakarin as a hotel manager who finds everyone around her standing still, and Damon Waynes Jr. as a church handyman who finds that he can change his town by manipulating a smaller model of it. John Larroguet, Donna Dixon, Eric Keenleyside, Kristen Lehman, Ryan Robbins, Peter Calamus, Ethan Embry, Gil Bellows, and George Takei also worked in these two seasons of The Twilight Zone. In addition to increasing the altitude, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet follows a path that is different from the iconic 1963 episode starring William Shatner, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. The 2019 episode you might also like is connected with the classic episode to serve man. Blurry Man is a metafictional episode in which Mark Silverman reprises his impersonation of Rod Serling from the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror Disney attraction, which is a super fun ride and only has like, what, a baker's dozen worth of deaths under its belt? Not bad for Disney. Previous Twilight Zone series had episodes with metafictional elements, notably the original series episode A World of His Own, where the main character interacts with Serling, and the 1980s revival series episode Personal Demons, in which Martin Balsam portrays a fictional version of the episode's writer. Serling himself passed away in 1975. The Twilight Zone reboot is known for its many Easter eggs and references to the original series. 
the stuffed gremlin that washes up on the beach where Adam Scott's character Justin wakes up at the end of the episode Nightmare 30,000 Feet is a tribute to the creature from the episode on which this one is based, 1963's Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Anyone who's watched the show has seen reference to a company called Whipple. Uh, but a little bit of background on that, Whipple was a proposed space observatory in the NASA Discovery Program. The observatory would try to search for objects in the Kuiper Belt and the theorized Oort Cloud by conducting blind occultation observations. Although the Oort Cloud was hypothesized in the 1950s, it has not yet been directly observed. Whipple Corp was featured in both the original series and the reboot in various ways, perhaps chosen to denote exploration of the previously unknown. That is to say that the Whipple from the NASA Discovery Program was influenced by the reference in the original Twilight series. Now, in the new series, the brand name Whipple recurs a couple of times. In Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, the Whipple company manufactures the podcast player that Justin finds on the plane, and in Wunderkind, everybody watches Whipple News. It seems that in the years since the original episode, the Whipple Corporation has grown in both scope and influence. Is there some overarching conspiracy that links this corporation to the latest string of unnatural occurrences? Your guess is as good as mine. During the episode replay in Nina's brother's house, there's a lot of wide shots of the interior. On the right-hand side of the frame, sitting on a shelf, is the camera from the original series episode, A Most Unusual Camera, about a camera that can predict the future. It's a clear inspiration to replay about a camcorder that can rewind the present. In Six Degrees of Separation, the name of the spaceship is Bradbury Heavy. It's a reference to Ray Bradbury, who is famous for his dystopian science fiction stories. A story about five astronauts who escaped the nuclear destruction of Earth at the last moment would certainly qualify as Bradbury-esque. To learn more about Ray Bradbury, check out the book report that I do with Noah Linsk. Chapter 2 is all about The Illustrated Man, a great collection of science fiction shorts by Ray Bradbury. Definitely check out that episode and that short story collection. You can check that chapter of the book report out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. In Blue Scorpion, when Jeff visits the gun store, a classic episode of The Twilight Zone is playing in the background. That episode is the aforementioned A Most Unusual Camera. The finale has a cool reveal. It turns out that this entire time, the Twilight Zone directors have been hiding a running Easter egg in the prior nine episodes. Look carefully, and in at least one scene, there will be the same suited man posed similarly to Rod Serling. I'll leave it up to you to find Blurry Man in each of the first season episodes. Aside from the 1959 series and the 2019 reboot, there are two other major iterations of the show, most notably the 1985 series produced from September 27, 1985 to April 15, 1989. It's the first of three revivals, and like the original, it features stories in a variety of speculative fiction, commonly featuring characters from a seemingly normal world stumbling into paranormal circumstances. Unlike the original, however, most episodes contained multiple self-contained stories instead of just one. The voiceover narrations were still present, but were not a regular feature as they were in the original series. Some episodes had only an opening narration, some had only a closing narration, and some had no narration at all. The multi-segment format liberated the series from the usual time constraints of episodic television, allowing more stories ranging in length from 8-minute quickies to 40-minute mini-movies. The series ran for two seasons on CBS before producing a final season for syndication. The opening music was done by Jerry Garcia, man. Awesome. Love Jer Bear. Additionally, there's a Lost Episodes version narrated by James Earl Jones that showcases two episodes penned by Serling in the late 60s. But we'll get into that and more, because up next we have a great interview with Elijah Meng, local Portland comic who I got to sit down with and chat about how we love Twilight Zone and some of our favorite episodes after the Kelly's Olympian comedy open mic in downtown Portland, hosted by the very awesome John O'Gernhardt. Yeah, definitely don't want to get a ticket. Those are just members of a different asshole brigade. Oh. Yeah. No, they, uh, they hand out tickets like hotcakes down here in downtown Portland because they got to make that money somehow. Tourism is in the shitter, yeah, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Especially here in downtown uh, yeah. where we're sat at Kelly's Olympian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just did the open mic. On the corner of Harvey Milk and Forest. Well, it, well, what used to be, star I mean, they still have the Stark sign up, but yeah. I understand that Harvey Milk is a hero 
in the gay community yes. and you know, for the rights and activism that he did and absolutely is deserving of a street name. And mm -hmm. I would be surprised to find out that they didn't have one as well in San Francisco, which I'm, I'm, certain, <laughs> I'm certain they do. But why here in Portland? But I just I'm curious to see if he has any connection specifically to Portland. I'll have oh, to look shit. that up. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Harvey well, Milk. Harvey Milk. Big shout out Harvey Milk. Uh, first openly gay politician in California, I believe. Yeah, oh, most certainly. And the the movie with uh, Sean Penn and James Franco mm -hmm. was not good. Yeah, that was... Yeah, I did watch it. It was a bad look. But hey, big shout out James Franco. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, no shout-outs to James Franco. No, James Franco can eat a dick. Um, yeah, fuck James Franco. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, not a great guy. No, absolutely not. He's a... Yeah, fuck James Franco. Well, we're not here to talk about James Franco. No. We're, here, we're here to talk about something quite possibly entirely different. Okay. You know, folks, the voice other than my own that you hear, this is Elijah Meng. Yes, I'm, I'm glad to be here. This is a very stylish Subaru that you have. Oh, thank you. I love it. Unpaid plug hour. Mm-hmm. Subaru Crosstrek, folks, check it out. Yes. Subaru Crosstrek's great car. Drove across the country in it. Didn't have any, uh, too many issues. Doing all right. We're here doing a little bit of people watching of the the fine people of downtown Portland, Oregon. Yeah, and to provide some more context into like where exactly we're sitting, like I said before, we're on Fourth and Harvey Milk, but we're crossed parallel to the alley where I'm parked to just ensure that I don't get a fucking ticket around here. That would be very bad. Yeah, um, they are they they are expensive. That's for certain. At this point, um, financially, I can't afford it. It would probably devastate me. Well, such is the life of an open mic comedian. Yeah. Yeah, because these gigs are very much unpaid. Mm. Before we get into Twilight Zone, before we get into anything else, I want to ask you, what is your Instagram, Elijah? Um, it's Elijah Mang XO on Instagram. Yeah. That's sweet. Thank you very much. Yeah, just sending kisses and hugs to yeah, everybody. Absolutely. That's nice. I feel like we need more kisses and hugs. I, I, I believe so, too. Consensual hugs and kisses. Yes. Yeah, consensual is definitely consent, a good thing to have. Uh, so what was your first exposure to science fiction in general? Honestly, it would be the Twilight Zone. From as early as I can remember even watching television, uh, the Twilight Zone was always on in my grandparents' home. Okay. They always had it on uh, like the VHS tapes, and I'd watch it like in my bedroom alone. They would just put that shit on for me. It was a lot of fun. How old are you? Um, from as early as I can remember, I was watching TV from like four to six, always watching that shit on TV. Uh, How old are you currently? I am not four to six. I'm 23 years old. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so I would say that most 23-year-olds don't have experience or exposure to the original Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah. I, sure. I would say maybe in passing uh -huh. or maybe checking it out a little bit after watching the newer one yeah for sure um you know i just always grew up with it and my grandparents were particularly fond of it as well um so they always passed that down and always had it on the tv it was a lot of fun to watch nice actually the format for today's interview we're going to talk about our favorite episodes kind of per season there are five seasons of the original mm -hmm. run and yeah we, we're not going to get into the 1985 reboot uh we will talk a little bit about the james earl jones narrated lost episodes yeah uh but you know uh, we'll we'll definitely do a compare and contrast about the, the original classic, series the yeah. classic and the reboot for sure because mm -hmm. the reboot is rad yeah i yeah. love it it's fantastic yeah because um, jordan peele does such a great job in general he really with, does. with what he puts out there and he always is definitely making sure that it's like high quality content not only in the nature of the story mm. and they get into that in the season one finale a little bit uh but also just the the filmography and like all of the ways that the shots track and mm -hmm. it's it's just beautifully shot as well yeah whereas when you're looking at the classic it does have a little bit of that 60s feel mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah uh, but that that pan from situation to rod serling mm -hmm. is that that was like 
revolutionary you know like having a, a an announcer in that format every you know kind of episode or just having him in the smoking chair at the end of the episodes being like well yeah. yes wasn't that fucked up yeah jordan peele <laughs> did an excellent job with this series and he did an even really wonderful job being rod serling for his time yeah i i just really loved the blurry man episode just because of the way that it wraps up the season it's like meta breaks the fourth wall like it has rod serling at the end mm -hmm. animated which they did a decent job yeah yeah I, that's that was uh whenever i saw that for the first time i was fucking blown away to be honest with you i was kind of taken back to my childhood years watching that show and was like oh fuck there's the dude you know so there's, I, the, there's the dude there's the man yeah. i was having a cool moment whenever i was watching it i think jordan peele did a fucking fantastic job uh doing that no. Yeah, I agree. Well, you know what? Let, what let's just jump into it, because I, I mean, I've, I've got my list right here. Right on. I mean, my favorite episodes from the very first season, or from the classics, rather, um, the Man on the Wing episode I thought was fucking gnarly. I think that's also one of the first episodes I ever watched. I think could remember watching on TV, um, and just being young and, I don't know, having the headspace to just be creative and then just think for yourself, just watching the fucking, some of the most meta shit that you can see, like, particularly the Man on the Wing episode, you know, was awesome. Yeah, that's uh, season five, episode three, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, and that has William Shatner in it, mm -hmm. um, which, I mean, it's it's an iconic role for him, and I, I, I love it too. Yeah. Yeah, because and they actually they play on it in the new one. There's the nightmare at thirty thousand feet. Mm -hmm. I like that they put it up another ten thousand feet because <laughs> we do in fact cruise, you know, ah. like like that much higher nowadays uh -huh. than than back then. But yeah, no, nightmare at twenty thousand feet is definitely iconic. I think that when most people think of the Twilight Zone, they think of that episode, mm -hmm. and it's for a reason. I mean, like he he does such a great job in it for sure. Mm -hmm. Another honorable mention, or a couple actually from season five, like and we can work our way backwards from, yeah, yeah. from five to one, but like that's my favorite episode oh, from yeah. season five. Is it? Yeah. Uh, followed by The Masks, uh, which is just a, a very interesting and creepy, weird episode. It's about a dying man who forces his heirs to wear masks at a Mardi Gras party, that's like right. in, you know, in order to receive their inheritance. That's right. And it kind of like shows their inner selves in the mask, just the trials and tribulations and interactivities. Yeah, that, it really gives, interactions. You, gives you a lot to think about at the end of the episode too. You know, that's what I remember from whenever I watched the episode for the first time. I don't know about you, but yeah, for sure. Well, you know, it, it, it like kind of people. makes you look at your relationship with expectation and uh, I would say entitlement. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he he the whole exercise is to say like, sure, you can you'll get your inheritance, but I want you to learn this about yourself from what I've observed, like through our, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's it's a very deep episode, so I like it for that respect. The Brain Center at Whipple's. Hmm. Uh, Whipple is a fake company that is featured in the Twilight Zone and is the sponsor in the new season that episode 6 degrees of freedom when they think they're in a sim when they are in a sim yeah. an alien simulation uh -huh. dude that is across every piece of twilight zone that is my favorite episode yeah is it it is so fucking well written the aliens well made uh it just it, it, but we'll dive into that when we get to season or the the reboot mm -hmm. uh you know series but it's, I just find it, I like how they make these little Easter egg connections, of which there are many. I mean, like, I, I shit. Yes, have been reading are. article on article on <laughs> article about, like, you know, oh, and then there's this, and then there's that, and then yeah. there's also the, remember, the whole thing with 1015 uh -huh. in the reboot, yeah, of which the, there, well, there is no explanation, but we'll go through all of the instances of when that comes up. There's um, there's an allusion to ten fifteen from the old series. No, this no in the uh, new one. Yeah, this that's that's uniquely for the new one. Yeah, for sure. But but the connection to Whipple. Oh, uh, okay. yeah, Whipple Corp. Um, you know, being featured in the new one as the mm -hmm. sponsor for the the uh, Mars. <laughs> yeah. You know, like mission. Uh huh. Um, the Serve Man episode. Shit, somebody's backing up on you really close. Yeah. 
They, I mean, they really don't need to get that close to me. They yeah. have plenty of forward move. They room. do. This Toyota Camry is awfully close to my friend Reese here. Um, I'm feeling unsafe in the Subaru Crosstrek. Well, thankfully, the Subaru Crosstrek comes with a number of safety features uh, in order to ensure the safe arrival of you and your family. I mean, every single Subaru commercial I've ever seen has a fucking family in it, come to think of it. Yep. Uh, season 4 was uh, season four was a, a pretty good season. Uh, seasons 3 and 4 of the original series, like, I mean, are, are kind of not lost on me, but I... Mm-hmm. can only watch so much Twilight Zone, so I had a little bit of, like, a, you know, that 2.30 feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm just <laughs> watching nothing but Twilight Zone. Because there are hundreds of episodes. Yeah, holy shit. There, yeah. I think, like, across all of it, there are, like, three over 300. I'll, I'll have to get an exact figure uh, as a fact, but... I think in season one alone, there's, like, 38. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's, there's you know, you could probably average it out to... 30 across five. I mean, there's a minimum of two, over, there's at least 200 episodes mm-hmm. easily across the multiple series. Uh, but Valley of the Shadow in season four, that's episode three. Um, it's a reporter who visits a town whose inhabitants can like manipulate time, energy, and matter. Mm-hmm. Dude, it, that, and it has James Dewan in it, who was oh. also from Star Trek. He's Scotty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that is the epitome <laughs> of science fiction. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, yeah, that was a fucking gnarly episode, too. Yeah, I, I just love that kind of writing. It reminds me of Isaac Asimov, who's one of my favorite science fiction writers. Okay. Uh, as well as, like, a little bit of Philip K. Dick in there. Hmm. Um, just from, like, the slipping, like, dimensional slipping kind of thing. And just, like, being in a dimension where the laws of physics and metaphysics are different, like, in the way that we can interact with our environments. Like, that's all very, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's excellent science fiction writing. Just kidding. Season 3, episode 36, uh, Cavender is coming. It has Carol Burnett in it. That one's super funny. I, it's not necessarily science fiction, but it's an angel can earn his wings by helping a down or luck woman, like, you know, find some sort of success in mm-hmm. life. And if he can do that, he gets his wings. And, like, that's a classic trope, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. The, the whole uh, an angel getting its wings kind of thing. Yeah. And Carol Burnett, I grew up watching the Carol Burnett show. Did you? Yeah. Like it's so like Nick at Night yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Because like you're t- I, you're 23. I'm I'm about to be 33. I I did watch Nick at Night a lot. Yeah. yeah. Carol Burnett. It also doesn't help that I took a lot of mushrooms this morning. Well, that's okay. And showed up, so it's kind of unprepared. But I'm really glad to have be here. We're glad to have you here. Mushrooms and all. Yeah. Is it the mushrooms that that guy was giving out? <laughs> I, if it was, then I wasn't there. But okay. I don't know. There was this fella who was giving out mushrooms at Haymaker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was mushrooms. Oh, oh yeah? Wait, no, they, no. Were they legit? Because I've been waiting for one of you to take them. So, like, yeah. Be... <laughs> oh, yeah, they're legit. I mean, they do, they do the trick for sure. Okay. Yeah. Neat. Well talking about good old substance abuse here on this podcast and i love it i don't i don't know that it's so much <laughs> substance abuse as it is for substance use so uh, i mean I, it's not like we're... i use the shit out of my drugs i don't <laughs> fucking care i'll do a lot and then go grocery shopping or something mm. no i don't recommend that but you know do your drugs safely kids yeah oh yeah please do your drugs safely like do not go to a pill party and just take a handful of pills out of a mm. bowl and mix shit like i i can't believe some of the articles that i read is so ridiculous like, wow yeah do I, not do that um i have a good close friend who's provided me with a lot of fentanyl test strips and shit that's fantastic yeah, yeah. So and it, yeah if you're gonna do cocaine kids uh anything bring, bring your bring your fentanyl test strips please test your white shit yeah fentanyl is not tight um do not do it. Mm-hmm. Unless you're, like, literally dying from multiple kinds of cancer. In which case, get it administered by a professional and have a fun time. Yes. While you still can. Um, <laughs> so, moving on, moving back to season two, uh, I liked episode ten, A Most Unusual Camera. Like, a, a thief steals a camera, and when he takes pictures, it predicts, like, the near future. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that is another thing that has been referenced in, like, Futurama and all sorts of, like, uh, yeah. all sorts of stuff. And the replay or rewind episode in the new season when that woman's taking her son to college and they encounter the racist cop over and over again and, like, she presses the rewind thing, I feel like that had a little bit of an influence. Like, 
or this had an influence on that insofar as like the story dealing with the capacity to mess with time and electronics. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a fun one. Also, the another really quirky one, which it just like makes me think of Clue, mm-hmm. is uh, season two episode season two episode twenty eight. Will the real Martian please stand up? Mm. Uh, the police figure out if a, they're trying to figure out which like diner patron is uh, like a Martian yeah. invader. I remember that episode too, and it just seems so sl- almost slapstickish. Yeah, they're trying to figure out who's the who's the odd one to cast out in the group. It's funny. Yeah. They're all speculating, but right, like trying to catch each other in a, in a yeah in a thing. Yeah. Season one, episode twenty three, a world of difference. A man descends into the stuff of nightmares, like when his home, family, and employer disappear without a trace. Like, could you imagine waking up one day, the day before you are this person with a social security number, like your wife, your house, this, that, and the third, and you leave and go to work in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, and you show, and it, it, you you feel like Casey Anthony going to Disney World, like with the cops. Like I I wear care, I totally fucking wear care. And then going through, and nobody's like, I don't know who this woman is, and she's like, don't fucking gaslight me, mm, gotcha. okay? It, it, that is the ultimate gaslight. Like you, like it's almost like a Truman Show type thing. I just wouldn't want to be near Casey Anthony. <laughs> I used to go to the bar that she went to in West Palm Beach, O'Shea's. Holy shit. Yeah, I was there when she got the beer poured on her, but, I mean, it was on her leg or whatever. Oh, but like, man. Yeah, Reese is, Reese is a big uh, Casey Anthony advocate. Fan, yeah, advocate, fan, number one fan. I, I'm actually wearing my Casey Anthony number one fan shirt right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's get that on the record. He loves that woman. I only wear it on 9-11. Yeah, it is 9-11 today. <laughs> it is, yeah. I was going to go skydiving today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you how that went, I bet. Well, I was I was with the instructor, and he was, like, you know, telling me what to do. And all that kind of, he's like, well, don't forget to pull the chute, you know, the, the, yeah. the cord. I was like, sir, I will never forget. <laughs> yeah. So that's all of the original stuff. Do you have any like honorable mentions uh, for the original run series? Like any standout episodes that you recommend people watch? Um, there's one episode I can't particularly think of the episode name, but there's a there's an episode called "To Serve Man," um, where they're trying to figure out this ancient relic, I guess, that comes from outer space. Okay. And sounds very 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yeah. And all it says is to serve man, and that's all they can figure out. And so they're spending years trying to decipher what this text means. And then before they find out before it's too late that it's like a cookbook and like to serve. Oh, man right, like, right, right. Trying to like serve humans to their yeah. alien people, you know, in outer space. Yeah, that's right. That was a fucking gnarly episode. They're, too. Oh, and they're like leading them onto the ships and stuff. They're yeah. like, yeah, why don't you come up? We're and gonna like, like promise you utopia. Wait, it's a cookbook. It's, yeah, that's such an iconic. That's moment a great in that one. Show. That's like a Soylent Green level moment. Mm-hmm. That's a <laughs> that's yeah. a that's a solid episode for sure. Yeah, to serve man. That's season three, episode twenty four. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right, and that's um, he's in a bunch of this tall fella. He's in a bunch of shit. Yeah, Richard Keel. Oh. He was uh, yeah, he's Jaws in the Spy Who Loved Me, yeah. uh, and Moonraker. He was Mr. Larson in Happy Gilmore. Yeah, dude. And I'll see you in the parking lot, shooter. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's let's move on to the new stuff, the new new that Jordan Peele that we all love so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, season one, because so, there's only two seasons, and it's not coming back for a third, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard. So, I, I love season one a lot. Uh, the, uh, my two favorite episodes I mentioned earlier, both of them. But my favorite is Six Degrees of Freedom, Mm -hmm. uh, which is an amazing episode for many reasons about a space crew preparing for the first human flight to Mars, uh, which is faced with what's called in the description a life-altering decision and its consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no fucking shit, dude. Like, they're on the launch pad and a nuke is coming their way, like, and they're literally having to make split decision to say... Do we launch or do we get down and out? Like, can we maybe make it to the bunker? Like, yeah, I would say fuck that. Let's go. That is definitely. Let's get. Of, let's be Audi five thousand. You know what I mean? Like, get up out of here. And do the whole thing. And then the simulation angle. Mm-hmm. I love simulation theory. Yeah. I think that it's improbable that we're in a base reality. So, and I think that psychedelics help prove that. Mm-hmm. 
because we're fucking with that incoming frequency. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean? Like our brains, which all of the dude, we don't know that this actually exists that we're looking at together out here, yeah. here at Fourth and Harvey Milk. We don't know, like nobody. All, all of our shit is it. happening in our crane. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, what the fuck, man? We are pretty meaningless. <laughs> shit is weird <laughs> as fuck. So. The whole simulation thing was was super funky, and I love that. And then Blurry Man, which we were talking about earlier. I mean, you know, the whole Rod Serling reveal and, like, the whole meta component of it being an episode of Twilight Zone that they're, you know, writing and, you know, talking about the nature of telling a story and not just having science fiction for the sake of science fiction. Uh Yeah, and I think that that really speaks to the nature of why Rod Serling created the series. Yeah. Um, so, also, I'd like to reiterate, Rod Serling was very much dead by the time that that came out. Like, it's more like a Gene, like, created by Gene Roddenberry thing. He didn't create the second series. It's based on it. So, I I, I, I find it interesting when people are like, man, he's been doing it forever. It's like, Mm. no, he's not Dick Van Dyke. Uh, He's not going to live to be 120 years (laughs) old. Um, Uh, He's dead as fuck. Yeah, he's dead as fuck. Did you not see all the cigarettes he was smoking? Yeah. He probably died riddled of cancer. (laughs) Or on the verge of it, at least. Yep. And then in season two, episode one, meet in the middle, dude. That that is uh, a Black Mirror level fucked up episode. Yeah, Black Mirror. Big shout out to Black Mirror. Uh, Major shout out ex- Black Mirror. That's an excellent show. Um, you know, as you know, Josh Trio was just here last week talking about it a bit. That's and, true. Yeah, I, that was a fun time. Whenever you watch that show, you're like, fuck. There's a lot of parallels from that Twilight Zone. Um, and particularly in that episode, there was a big ass Black Mirror moment. I agree insofar as that, like, Black Mirror pulls and was influenced heavily by Twilight Zone for mm-hmm. sure. And I think, in turn, the newer Twilight Zone was influenced by Black Mirror in the way that it conveys information. It, it, it feels, you know, even though the cinematography is slightly different, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, it just. It has that neo tech feel, you know, like like they definitely do put in like near future technology in. Um, but this one, season two, episode one, is like a classic, just like weird, high strangeness, psychic connection episode. Hmm. Because like not all Twilight Zone is science fiction. There does have a lot to do with like high strangeness and weirdness and like parallel dimensions and stuff that it doesn't necessarily involve technology. Yeah. Although I would I would firmly place parallel universes in the science fiction realm, mm-hmm. uh, simply because of the nature of like physics and how it interacts with oh, yeah, like, for sure. us. There's definitely a lot of parallels in um, parallel universes and in, in science fiction. I agree. <laughs> Sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, that's okay. But I see I see what parallel you're drawing there. Uh. Um, yeah, so basically the season two episode one is about this guy who all of a sudden he's like on a really boring date and all of a sudden he like starts telepathically communicating with this woman and they develop a relationship, a friendship, this, that, and the third and like, you know, they, they decide eventually to meet halfway somewhere and like they're on their way and she gets kidnapped mm-hmm. and then she's like describing where she's being held but really it's her own home and like she like he goes in and kills her husband for her but but it just looks like he's been stalking her randomly like looking her up online and being like you know because they have no other connection than in their minds yeah so he has no proof so he just basically sounds like <laughs> an insane person he sounds like a big old stalker yeah dude like that that is it is such a mind fuck of an episode <laughs> So definitely Holy a great shit. season opener. And there, there are some other bangers in season two, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about 1015. Mm-hmm. 1015 and was fucked. what that's all about. Because they come out hard in Nightmare at 30,000 feet. Like, the flight number's 1015. It takes off at 1015 on October 15th. Mm-hmm. And the code to get in the flight deck, of course, is yep, 1015. 1015, yep. So, about, you know, big dude watching a podcast listening to a podcast on his flight yeah you know yeah that that was such a like and, <laughs> and it's jordan peele yeah I, oh no no who no uh that's not true who not jordan peele it's somebody no. else oh the, dude i didn't realize this the guy narrating the podcast is dan carlin yeah. from hardcore history it's true 
tight. Nice. Yeah, he was narrating that whole podcast, and then, you know, don't want to spoil the episode too much. Or... We already, I issued a spoiler oh, alert. Okay, yeah. No, it's, yeah. Uh, if you're at this point in the episode, you have been <laughs> spoiled by that alert. Yeah, for sure. All right, right on. Yeah, so whenever, you know, he's obviously skeptical as fuck about what's going on in the podcast that he's listening to, this fucking strange dude who, whom he suspected earlier to be the air marshal isn't, he's just a fucking weird dude on a plane pretty much. Yeah, he, well, you mean weird dude who crashes the plane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how would you describe his personality? Like, um, he's a, not like a, a terrorist. No, doesn't give off like a. I don't know. Like I don't. I, I, yeah, I don't know how to describe. Uh-huh. He, he. I would say that their interactions are a little surreal because of how calm he is and open to the like. He. It, it feels as though he's in cahoots with the podcast that's playing you know what i mean yeah like he's he knows what's what's transpiring because when you know it's an angle i haven't thought about he because he's he's basically like says you know thanks for (laughs) creating the situation required for me to go take this take over this plane you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. he didn't have to do a thing he just sat there and drank yeah and basically egged him on yeah great episode Mm -hmm. a great opening episode you know what i mean like like to, to, to bring the series back and then, um, you know, towards the end, they fucking crash, and then you think, oh, that's the end of the episode, but... Then it's like they... a Lost-type situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There and he's listening to more of the podcast somehow after right. the crash, and then he's like, then they started a civilization, and then everybody was found on a, on a boat, except for this one guy. It's yeah. like this strange thing. Like, they're all trying to kill him, because he allowed the plane to crash. But just kind of, uh, you know, what would you do if you It was the antithesis of what he wanted. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. of course. What would I do if I was in that situation? Well, I mean, like... I would get get beaten to death. You're on a... No, (laughs) not if if you're him, but, like, if if you were just on a plane that crashed, and then you're like, wow, this asshole just, like, really helped crash the plane. So, like... I'd probably kill him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'd probably kill him. Yeah. So I, like, like if I sur- <laughs> like if if out of like a couple hundred passengers, like a dozen of us survived, and that asshole survived. Yeah, dude, that guy's motherfucking dying. That's all I know. That guy's. Going he would down. he would die. Like I don't know if I would do it right away. Like I'd probably like kick him, a couple times. <laughs> yeah, sure, I'd kick him. <laughs> You'd punch him. <laughs> I might even give him a purple nurple. Oh. Yeah. Twist his nips. I would be rather upset with him okay, or her. Yeah. <laughs> or them. Or them. Yeah, you know. I'd be rather upset with that. People crash planes. Don't do it on 9-11. Oh, God. Hey, we're here. All right, well, we're here now. (laughs) All right, it's come full circle. But the first episode, what was that one? Um, That was the Nightmare 30,000 Feet. No, I thought the comedian was... Oh, the comedian, that's right. The comedian was the first episode. fucked up episode. That is, is, uh, I totally forget about that one. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, but Kumail is hilarious. That's actually, and it's a good premise, too. Like, if, you know, it it actually kind of speaks to the nature of writing things mm-hmm. big shout out to tracy morgan in that episode too i love tracy oh morgan. yeah that's right yeah he's he's, uh, he's, like, he's the one he taught yeah he's the one he talks to in the beginning there about mm-hmm. yeah like giving things up yes and then it becomes a part of them and you never see it again yes yeah that's uh that's actually a i think it really speaks a to, great episode yeah it's a fucking really good one and then in the end he doesn't have anything else to give but himself so and then he yeah, perishes but he fucking murdered yes he got he do and that is that is what is important that's the only thing <laughs> in, that's in important. stand-up comedy that's only copies for killers <laughs> yeah um running through the rest of 1015 we have replay the license plate on the officer's car is 1015 uh-huh. in a traveler the code to get into the jail cell complex at the igalak police station is 1015 um, again, at Six Series of uh, Freedom, the Mars mission briefing is coded with a number beginning at 1015. Mm-hmm. Um, and not all men. A post-it note reads, call Dr. Romero at 1015. <laughs> that one is a... I don't want to say it's a funny episode because it's not. It's not. It's not. No. But it's goofy. Yeah, it's funny. It's a little goofy. Yeah. And Ike Barinholtz's character, it, he, he can be scary for sure. Like, yes, But he, he he's also such a... Yeah, he's a goofball because I just remember him from Mad TV. So he's I just goofball. I can't like take him seriously. No. All right. Then in point of origin, the code used by Anna and Eve to escape the uh, HSI facility. Like that one's also kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the blue scorpion, the gun's serial number is ten fifteen. Jeez. 
59. And that's actually the day before another episode, uh, Mr. Denton on Doomsday aired in the first season. Um, so I, I don't know if there's a connection mm-hmm. there, but again, there, there has been no ac- active description made by the production staff as to why 1015. Damn. Uh, maybe it's somebody's birthday. You know what I mean? Like, it, I just, I, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I've, I've searched multiple times, multiple search queries, like... Shit. Yeah, I, people have posited various theories, but mm-hmm. there's nothing official that they've come out with saying this is why 1015. That's fucked up. And then uh, you might also like uh, Janet Warren's home address is 1015 Fremont Street. Mm-hmm. So there's also there's not going to be a season three, so the, and there's no reason for them to come out. I think it will be one of those enduring mysteries. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe Jordan Peele on his deathbed. <laughs> he was passed down some information. Yeah. Right. He's like, like how the answer to the universe is 42. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um... <laughs> But yeah, there's also Twilight Zone 1985, uh, opening by the Grateful Dead. That's a groovy little ditty. And then uh, I haven't seen them. And, and it's hard to find those, too. Like, you can find clips on YouTube and stuff. Like, I'm sure there are ways to watch it, but I haven't found... Like I'm not, I'm just not going to buy another subscription. Mm, so, sorry, folks. I, I encourage you to check it out. There's three seasons of it. Um, it's made in the 80s, so it's got that vibe, that production value. So, you know, just know that going into it. Absolutely. Um, and then the Lost Classics, unsyndicated episodes that are narrated by Dr- James Earl Jones? Yeah, from what I understand, they are just um, some of the classic episodes that I guess Earl, um, sorry, Rod Sterling did write, but didn't get to put into production. Okay. So, um, yeah, James Earl Jones. Did a fantastic job uh, narrating that series. I think it's just a two-episode series. No, oh, I didn't know they worked together previously. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Rod Serling and James Earl Jones in The Man in 1972. Oh, wow. James Earl Jones was in an episode. No, this is a film. Oh. Uh, yeah, they were in a, a film? Yeah, yeah, it's a political film. Oh, really? Huh. They got to work together. <laughs> this actually sounds kind of awesome. Yeah, I'm going to peep that later when I get home. He he plays a president pro tempore of the United States Senate who succeeds to the presidency through a series of unforeseeable events, thereby becoming both the first African-American president and the first wholly unelected one. <laughs> nice. I'm going to fucking check that out. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Played by James Earl Jones. Played play by James Earl Jones called The Man in 1972, directed by Rod Serling. Ooh. Tight. Ooh. That sounds fantastic. Anyway, so the first and shorter segment is called The Theater, and the longer one is called Where the Dead Are, uh, both penned by Serling in mm-hmm. 1968. Yep. Tight. Oh, Jack Palance. Jack Palance is in which one? In uh, Where the Dead Are. Nice. Yeah. Huh. Um, nice. Yep. So, well, cool. Well, that's that's definitely something to check out, folks. Before we before I let you go. Yeah. What is what is your upcoming comedy schedule? Are you, you miking? Uh. Yeah, pretty much. I'm actually taking a break at the moment, but whenever I come back in like a week or so, I'm just trying to write at the moment, but I have a a show November 17th at the Waterwheel Lounge in Seattle, and then also I have been asked to do a show at Tap That Showcase at um, 82nd on, what's it called, Growler's Tap Room, yeah. wonderful room. Um, uh, which, which date is that? Because I'm uh, doing the, the 22nd oh, I'm of doing, October. I'm doing the 19th. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll see you in passing. But, yeah, uh, those are my only two dates so far. Um, just looking to write and then also probably get back into the mics with some different shit. You That's know, what's up. After a little bit, you know, it just feels draining to do the same shit over and over and over I and totally over again. I totally feel that. So I just yeah. I'd feel more comfortable at this point just, like, writing something and then, like, you know. That's what the mics are for, baby. Coming back to it. Yes, sir. I'm well, looking forward to it. I'm, and I'm looking forward to seeing you. Well, right on, bud. Thanks for talking Twilight Zone with me, man. Absolutely. Well, I'm very glad to be in this Subaru Crosstrek. That's that's great. <laughs> it's, what color? Do you, do you feel safe? It's a light blue Subaru Crosstrek license plate. Mm-hmm. I will keep you posted. Um, I do feel safe, and I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for having me. You got it. I'm Thanks, gonna Elijah. I'm going to exit this vehicle now. Yeah, just look twice before you do, because the safety ends outside oh. of the Subaru Crosstrek. Ooh, in the twilight zone. <laughs> this door is locked. I try to do a smooth exit. <laughs> Later, dude. Bye.
Always a fun time hanging out with Elijah. He's a good kid who happens to be super funny, so check out his set at Growler's Taproom on October 15th. That show starts at 8.30. By the way, there are 243 total episodes of The Twilight Zone. Plenty to watch. Well, you know what that sound means. It's time for your water cooler facts. So what exactly is an alternate reality? Well, it can be easily defined as worlds that exist next to, in parallel of, or in place of our own. The good folks over at GiantBomb.com lay out the various types of encounters one can have outside of our base reality. Up first we have the parallel universe. These are worlds that exist on top of our own. They may be similar, they may be completely different. But the idea is that they occupy the same space and have existed since the dawn of time. They play off the idea that anything that could possibly happen has happened in an alternate reality. All decisions that could have been made have been made. This idea has been used extensively in science fiction and comic books. All the various Marvel universes, the numerous Earths in DC, and the great TV series Sliders. We also have alternate dimensions. These are often confused with parallel universes when in actuality they're very different. An alternate dimension is a separate plane of existence that exists on our world, but it's just beyond our vision. These are things like subspace in science fiction games, astral planes, or anytime you enter a world where things look all funky. A lot of times this is how cloaking technology is explained. A person who is out of phase as such can't be seen by those in this dimension. It's also quite a popular way to depict how demons or shadows can move around without being seen. We also have alternate histories. These alternate realities are formed when time travel changes the timeline of a universe resulting in a different outcome. It's like the idea of what would happen if you traveled back in time and killed Hitler. The moment you did it, there would be a point of divergence creating a new history where Hitler never even rose to power. The best example of this is seen in Back to the Future 2, where an older Biff Tannen took a book from the future into the past and changed his own timeline. This resulted in drastic changes for the world around him. This concept is used extensively in the Command and Conquer games, and this area of science is a little sketchy. Some think that the point at which you alter time would create a splinter universe, and yet others think the changes would be limited and localized to that universe's time stream. I also highly encourage anyone to look into a talk given in September of 1977 at the 4M Festival de la Science Fiction in Metz, France, where surrealist author Philip K. Dick delivered an astounding address with the title, If You Find This World Bad, You Should See Some of the Others. And he wasn't joking. The speech spanned the themes that defined Dick's work and also his life, visionary experiences, deja vu, and the simulation hypothesis, as well as the nature of reality. His work The Man in the High Castle comes to mind. All in all, the likelihood that we are in a base reality is seeming less and less likely given the mounting evidence to support that theory, but that's for another conversation. Suffice to say that alternate realities are intriguing at the very least. I'd like to thank my sources for this week's episode, which include boingboing.net, imdb.com, and my own nerd knowledge, as well, of course, as Wikipedia, because if it's on Wikipedia, it has to be from an alternate dimension. Next week, we find ourselves back in comic book land with a look at the iconic Transmetropolitan series. I sit down with the hilarious Aaron Harleman to talk life and comics at the Haymaker Power Hour Comedy Mike, one of the best in the city, hosted by the most dynamic of duos, Jamie Carbone and Amanda Lynn Deal. You can catch that episode on Transmetropolitan, airing Tuesday, September 20th from 8 to 9 a.m., only on Shady Pines Radio. Download the free Shady Pines Radio app for amazing content 24 hours a day, 8 days a week. It's free. But before we go, I have a clip of Rod Serling queued up where he discusses the nature of censorship in writing and production, which gives significant insight into the mind behind the iconic series that is The Twilight Zone. Well, we hear a lot about censorship of the writer on TV. We oh, hear a good deal it, about yeah. it in your own case, especially. Well, depending, of course, on the thematic treatment you're using, if you have the temerity to try to dramatize a theme that involves any particular social controversy currently extant, then you're in deep trouble. For instance? Uh, a racial theme, for example. My the case in point, I think, uh, a show I did for the Steel Hour, 
some years ago, three years ago, called Noon on Doomsday, yeah. which was uh, a story which purported to tell what was the aftermath of the alleged kidnapping in Mississippi of the Till Boy, yeah. the young Chicago Negro. And I wrote the script using black and white uh, initially. Then it was changed uh, to suggest an unnamed foreigner. Then the locale was moved from the south to, the, to New England. And I'm convinced they'd have gone up to Alaska or the North Pole if, and using Eskimos as a possible minority, except I suppose the costume problem was of sufficient severity not to attempt it. But it became a lukewarm, vitiated, emasculated kind of show. You went along with it? All the way. I protested. I went down fighting, as most television writers do, yeah. thinking in a strange, oblique, philosophical way that better say something than nothing. In this particular show, though, by the time they had finished taking Coca-Cola bottles off the set because the sponsor claimed that this had southern connotations, suggesting to what depth they went to make this a clean, antiseptically, rigidly uh, acceptable show. Uh, why it bore no relationship at all to what we had purported to say in initially. Patty Chayefsky has talked about the insidious influence of what he calls pre-censorship. How does that work? Uh, pre-censorship is a practice, I think, of most television writers. I can't speak for all of them. This is the prior knowledge of the writer of those areas which are difficult to try to get through. And so a writer will shy away from writing those things which he knows he's going to have trouble with on a sponsorial or an agency level. We practice it all the time. We just do not write those themes which, you know are going, which we know are going to get into trouble. Who's the culprit? Is it the network, the sponsor? It sure is not the FCC. No, it's certainly not the FCC, ideally speaking, of course. It's a combination of culprits in this case, Mike. It's partly network. It's principally agency and sponsor. In many ways, I think it's the audience themselves. How do you mean? Well, I'll give you an example. About a year ago, roughly 11 or 12 months ago, on the Lassie show. This is a story usually told by Sheldon Leonard, who was then associated with the show. Lassie was having puppies. And I have two little girls, then aged five and three, who are greatly enamored of this beautiful collie. Mm -hmm. And they watched the show with great interest. And Lassie gave birth to puppies. And Mike, it was probably one of the most tasteful and delightful and warm things uh, depicting what is this, this, this wondrous thing that is birth. And after the show, I, I think there were many congratulations all around because it was a lovely show. The sort of thing I'd love my kids to watch to show them what is the birth process and how marvelous it is. They got many, many cards and letters. Sample card from the Deep South, this was. If I wanted my kids to watch sex shows, I wouldn't have had them turn on that. I could take them to burlesque shows. And as a result of the influx of mail, Many of the cards, incidentally, as Sheldon tells it, were postmarked at identical moments, all in the same handwriting, but each was counted as a singular piece of mail. And as a result, the directive went down that there would be no shows having anything to do with puppies, that is, in the actual birth process. Well, obviously, it is this wild, lunatic fringe of letter writers that, that greatly affect what the sponsor has in mind. You can understand the position of the sponsor, can't you? I, in, in many ways, I suppose I can. He's there to push a product. He has a considerable stake, thus, in what goes on the air. Most assuredly. And in those cases uh, where, we, where, there, where there is a, a problem of, of, of public taste, in which there is a concern for, for uh, eliciting negative response from a large mass of people, I can understand why the guys are frightened. Sure. I don't understand, Mike, for example, other evidences and instances of, of intrusion by sponsors. For example, on Playhouse 90, not a year ago, a lovely show called Judgment at Nuremberg. Uh, I think probably one of the most competently done and artistically done pieces that 90's done all year. In it, as you recall, uh, mention was made of gas chambers. Yeah. And the line was deleted, cut off the, cut off the, cut off the uh, soundtrack. And uh, it, ma it mattered little to these guys that the gas involved in concentration camps was cyanide, which bore no resemblance, physical or otherwise, to, to the gas used in stowed. They cut the line. Because the sponsor was... He did not want that awful association made between what was the horror and the misery of Nazi Germany with the nice, chrome, wonderfully antiseptically clean, beautiful kitchen appliances that they were selling. Yeah. Now, this is an, is an example of sponsor interference, which is so beyond logic and which is so beyond taste. This I rebel against. Hey, 
Hey folks, this is Michael Phelps, host of Father's Favorites and the Comedy Open Mic at my father's place, conveniently located at 523 Southeast Grand Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Mic sign-ups are Fridays at 8.30 p.m. Come on by for some awesome breakfast food, great drinks, and the best comedians Portland and the Pacific Northwest has to offer. In the meantime, make sure you follow Science Factual on the socials. That's at Science Factual Pod, as well as Shady Pines Radio for amazing content 24 hours a day, 8 days a week. Download the app today wherever you procure your apps. 